And now for today's scripture is taken from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their own ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, I'd love for you to go on a little trip with me this morning, if you would, uh, making some stops in uh, Lima, Peru, uh, Macedonia, and uh, right back home to uh, Edmonton. Uh, We'll journey by way of the scripture, although I don't see Lima in the scripture. Have you ever noticed that? I I do see Macedonia. I'm still very much impressed by uh, our trip to Peru just a week ago, and we encountered some very, very poor people. Uh, You know, I think we're built with uh, uh, built-in shock absorbers. Uh, When you see uh, a horrific accident, for example, like, and it, it is about to overwhelm you, I think the Lord has put into us some shock absorbers so that we we can't uh, we can't absorb it, and that's why we often have this expression. It felt very surreal. Felt very surreal. And I noticed too the demands of our real world. Getting back into busy routine has a way of blocking out all that we have experienced when we when we witness something that's quite challenging. And then suddenly we're into real life, back at home again. And, uh, but, you know, I don't want to lose some of the lessons that we have learned from being among the, the, the poor of the world. And I know that uh, many of you have traveled and you've experienced the same thing that we've experienced. And, and you've processed all of this and, and it has been life-changing for you. And I, I know after a while we tend to forget what we have in comparison to others. You know, we in Edmonton are among the 50 million people of 6 billion people who are the wealthiest people in the world. Really. And don't we ask, why is that? Why am I so blessed? Marg was reading... uh, this way, uh, this week, somewhere, and I asked her to document it for me. She couldn't come up with it as she read it. Some news clipping. 92,000 people in our world, which is 0.001% of the population, has between 27 to 32 trillion dollars, trillion dollars, hidden away in tax-sheltered bank accounts, whether in Swiss banks or somewhere else. Wow, what a contrast. 
<laughs> On a simpler level, Mark and I thought about our home this past week and commented, Look at how many rooms we have. <laughs> Look at all the space we've got. As compared to most of these family who live on the families who live on the hills in outside of, of Lima, five feet across and ten feet long. And a whole family lives in that space. Sometimes there's one bed for five people. And the only roof is just a plastic corrugated sheet. So I don't want to forget the lessons learned from the poor. Lima is a city of 10 million people. It's possible, although difficult to actually know the real numbers, it's possible that over 3 million people are living on the little mountains, the big hills surrounding the city. Most of them have moved in from the Andes hoping to give their ch children a chance for an education. And parents are coming in hopes of uh, employment. But they move to this big city of Lima, and they can't afford the housing. So where do they go? They go out to the mountains. And they're living there without running water. They're living there mostly without power, without sanitation, and often without un without employment. And it's a dangerous place to live because there's no security. If you leave your home, one woman said to us, we always have somebody at home because somebody could come in and rob what we do have. And their little homes are stacked all the way up the mountain. We were challenged to hike up there carrying a food hamper and some water and a few supplies. It was steep for us. And uh, for them, they've learned to do it. I mean, they have learned. Those little kids, it's nothing for them. They just scamper up. They've learned the, the trails. Lessons from the poor. We're in Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. And we have a lesson not from the richest people in the world, but probably from the poorest people in the world. Paul the Apostle points to... Uh, the Christians in Macedonia as being exceedingly generous in their care for the Christians back in the mother church of Jerusalem. You know, and it's interesting to see the heart of Paul. It's interesting to look at his heart. He saw part of his ministry as urging Christians to be involved in the plight of other fellow believers who were going through enormously tough times back in Jerusalem. These churches in Macedonia. Philippi would be an example. These churches in Macedonia were incredible. They were very poor. But honestly, you would offend them if you didn't allow them to give. They wanted to give. Do you know people like that? I mean, you, you would offend them if you said, oh, you know, it's okay. You don't have to, you don't need to worry about giving anything. I know you're not in a position to give. If you come across a book called When Helping Hurts, I urge you to pick it up. The subtitle is uh, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. And it's recommended reading from Compassion Canada. I'm just getting into it, but I sense it is a call to discernment in knowing how to respond to poverty <clears throat> so that we actually help and don't hurt. We might be well-intentioned, 
but we might get off on the wrong track. As you know, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, but he's setting up the Macedonian church as wonderful examples to aspire to. These first nine verses of 2 Corinthians 8 have a lot of zing to them. They challenge, they motivate, they inspire. And I, I guess what I want for you this morning, more than anything else, if you would just pick up a couple of nuggets that might encourage you in your journey. They're not new to us. I don't think they're new to us. But they really shine when they're dusted off. They really shine when they're dusted off. And I hope they will shine in your life. And I pray that they will shine in my life. I found three points of inspiration for myself. I find them not only inspirational, but I'm sorry to say, I find them a little intimidating. I need that grace, that grace that Paul refers to in these verses. The grace of God. The grace of giving. So I can be obedient in this area as I so desire. Well, just to cut to the quick. What Paul is saying is this. When you really experience God's grace in your life, and His grace comes and it touches you at the deepest level, it is absolutely transforming. And it significantly impacts the way you live. It must. It impacts the way you love. It impacts the way you serve. It impacts the way you give. It impacts all of life. So here are the lessons from the poor. In this case, the Macedonian Christians. However, I just witnessed it among the Peruvian Christians. Number one, we give in spite of our circumstances. We give in spite of our circumstances. Now, verse 1, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. <laughs> this, no kidding, is an amazing group of people in Macedonia. I mean, if they could have entered their salary figures on globalrichlist.com, you know that website? they would have been on the other end of the spectrum. Everyone else would have registered higher than they. They were probably among the very poorest of the poor. Paul says they're very poor. Farmers use the expression, dirt poor. <laughs> they were dirt poor. I've never seen poverty like I saw in Peru. And I know that's only one place in the world where this kind of poverty exists. Sometimes we hear the word shantytown, and that's where the poor live, on the hillsides of Lima. Fortunately, the climate is somewhat favorable in Lima, even the winters, which they're now having, which is uh, not real harsh. But there's no rain. That's amazing. There's no rain ever in Lima. It never rains. Spring, summer, fall, winter, it never rains. So they can't live off the land like some other countries might. 
They might have a little stove. You'll notice it in one of the pictures. Just kind of look up into the corner of one of those pictures. Uh, they have a little stove in some of their places, but no propane. The, the home is so barren, you can see daylight with the huge cracks in the plywood wall. There's no playground for the children. They are out on ledges, and one careless step would be disastrous for these little kids. They have to somehow carry, uh, yeah, there's the, there's the water containers, the buckets. They carry those up from the bottom of the mountain every day. Uh, they might burn some wood outside their house to cook something. Got a little ring in John. I don't know if you can notice it. The, the loud music, the loud music of the home next door blasts into the house only 15 feet away. And it's like, oh, you can't do anything about somebody else's house and this music is just coming, wafting through. They're the poorest of the poor. But you should see the church in Lima. Many of them are giving what they can. If they can't give much financially, they give the widow's might. And they give themselves. Many of the very uh, mature Christians are finding ways to serve the poor of their community. A church that is partnering with Compassion meets with their sponsor children 12 hours a week. That those churches might have 200 children. And they provide them with a hot, nutritious meal. They teach them about God. They provide help with their social, emotional needs. They tutor them in their educational pursuits. And I found it so interesting. When these kids go to the public school system, everyone is amazed at how knowledgeable and capable these kids are. Why? Because they have been tutored by the volunteers who have come alongside them. And it's helping them immensely in their public school education. Two weeks ago, we attended a church service at the base of the hill. One of the churches was working with Compassion International. And I noticed that the pastor had the congregation turn to the book of Numbers. You know, the story of Joshua and Caleb going into the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. You know, in my mind, I was analyzing what, what was he doing? What was he thinking? What was he trying to convey? Uh, to, to his people. And then I saw that he was encouraging them to have hope, to believe that things can change. You see, poverty destroys hope in people. Everything else is a symptom of poverty. But when the light in your eyes go out, then the cycle of poverty continues. To have hope is to have everything. And that pastor was saying, you can trust God for the future. You can trust God that he will move in your life. You can trust God for the small and the big things of your life. And, uh, and so the poor begin to believe that nothing will change. And this pastor was trying to say, with God, with faith, with working together as a community, things can change and God will move you forward and give you hope and he'll give you a future. And Paul says, these followers of Christ were tested by many troubles. Life is squeezing them harder and harder. They are poor and they are picked on. They're taken advantage of. They don't have many rights. Life is impossible, but they are very special people. They are grace-filled people. 
And God has done something remarkable in the lives of these people in Macedonia. He touched them on the inside. And regardless of their circumstances, they are, they've changed. They are so thankful. They are so appreciative. They want to give. You would offend them if you said, oh, no, 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 it's, this is not appropriate for you to give. Don't worry about it. You would offend them. Everything in their heart cries out, we want to give. They gave in spite of their circumstances. A pastor said several years ago, he said, when I was ministering in our small rural community, we had extra food left over from the Christmas basket. And he said, I happened to think of a poor family who lived at the edge of town. And I packed up the food and I drove to their house. He said, I'm never sure how one goes about doing charity while preserving the dignity of those who receive the charity. And when this woman, surrounded by her several children, answered the door, he said, I thought of a subtle way to offer the food to her without being offensive. I asked, do you know anyone who could use some extra food? Thinking she would say, well, we could. You bet, she said, and she got her coat, headed toward her car and said, follow me. And she took me to people who were poorer than she, people who desperately needed food, even though she herself needed food. He said, I remember clearly, clearly there was absolutely no hesitation on her part. See, for some, giving is just second nature. They, they've got to give. God has touched their hearts. And Paul is so thrilled with these Macedonian Christians that they're a great model. And he comments in verse 4 that they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. No matter how you slice it, this is all about God. How do you have abundant joy when you're dirt poor? How do you give when you don't have much to give? It's about his grace. It's him working in our hearts that does, does this. The amount, not the big deal. Not a big deal. It's the heart. These little churches, these little faith communities spread across Macedonia gush forth with the joy of giving. And it can only be the grace of God. It can only be the grace of God. I think there's something here for us, really. Regardless of our income, look after the heart Experience the grace of God, which overflows again and again and again. And it overflows with joy. It overflows with generosity. This is a heart deal. Giving is such a natural response when we have experienced forgiveness and grace in our lives. What else can you do but give? So we give in spite of our circumstances. Secondly, we give enthusiastically. Check out verse 4. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. Chrysostom, the uh, ancient preacher in the, in the Greek church, marveled at these verses. He said with amazement, they did the begging. They did the begging. Not Paul. Not Paul, but they did the begging. What were they saying? Paul, we entreat you. We beg you. Don't deny us this honor of giving. And so you see what happens when grace motivates a heart. It's not dictated by ability. 
It has nothing to do with being well off. It's just a heart thing. It's willing. It's willing. It, it views giving as a privilege, and it is joyously enthusiastic. What is at the heart of such great giving? Grace. Grace. But it's quite clear that they gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us. Paul says, very simple. The grace of God had come into their lives. And they, in turn, gave their lives back to God. And then they gave themselves to the welfare of the church to others who were in need. Does this make sense to you? There's a subtle little lesson here. It comes back to why we do what we do. We don't give to look good. We don't give because it's a law. You have to give. Not a lot of fun in being forced to give. That's why we don't like paying taxes, because we've got to pay it. But it's not a lot of fun. We don't give because we get receipted for it. We don't give to get our name on the door of an institution. You know, actually, when you think of it, does God even need our money? It makes you chuckle. He owns it all. He owns it all. We just shuffle it around. I had this little word picture this, this week of, of a board, of a giant board, and all of our possessions are on the board. And in our lifetime, we just shuffle. We just shuffle on the board. This goes here. This goes here. I need this. This is mine. This goes over here. And a whole lifetime is spent in shuffling. At the end of the day, none of it belongs to us. It all is his. So I just say, Lord, help us to be good shufflers. Help us to be good shufflers, good stewards in this life. He wants us to give ourselves first to him. So if you've not given your life to Christ and you're tempted to think, well, my giving will put me in better standing with God, the answer is probably not. Probably not. What God wants is for us to give ourselves to him. And when you do that, you discover his joy. And when you have joy, you have grace. And you become a giver. And, and that's the very reason that God put us on this earth, to be givers. And, you know, I mean a giver of life to people, a giver of our resources and, and of our talents and of our compassion and, and our time and our energy. Givers, givers, to live life giving, shuffling, but giving, and enthusiastic, no less. I have to tell you this little story. We met five men and women uh, who have gone uh, through what they refer to as the leadership, uh, there they are, program uh, through compassion. These are five uh, young men and women, early 20s. These, these folks have all lived on the mountain. They know. They've lived in those five by ten little, little houses. They all know the poverty, the struggle of poverty. But they had sponsors all through the years. They've been in a church context. They've been discipled. They've been encouraged. And when they came to be 18 years of age, someone from America or Canada, maybe Korea, sponsored them in the leadership program, the leadership program. And maybe one or two families joined together and said, we could sponsor one of these young, young men or women. And they contributed money every month so these people, and many like them, 
could go to university, University of Lima, a technical school. And we heard the stories of these five people over supper one evening. One after another, they told their story. And God has rescued them from hopelessness. They're engineers. They're physical therapists. They're lawyers. They're teachers. But the best piece of the news is they've remembered their history. And they're back in the local church serving, volunteering, coming alongside of the next generation. They're making a difference. And they're using their skills to give a lifting hand to those who need it. You should watch them shuffle. They're amazing. And to get to know them, they have learned to give. They have learned to serve. So we give in spite of circumstances. Secondly, we give enthusiastically. And thirdly, we are encouraged to give as Jesus did. Look at these verses. So we have urged Titus, verse 6, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and to encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the the gracious act of giving. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Oh, what a great verse that is. Paul wants the Corinthians to get to the finish line in their giving. He doesn't want them to just brush it off and say, oh, well, we thought about it, you know, but yeah, I don't know, it's not going to work for us. He commends them on the many ways in which they do excel. He mentions all the good things that they have going for them, some very gifted speakers in their church, some people with wonderful knowledge, some were filled with faith. And, you know, it's almost like Paul is saying, but even though you have many things going for you, Don't forget how important it is to be givers in life. And don't forget your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The church at Corinth put a lot of emphasis on spiritual gifts. But Paul wants to say even that doesn't excuse your giving. And, you know, it's true uh, that some pastors and missionaries say, well, I dedicated my whole life to serving, therefore I don't need to give. Or I've taught a Sunday school class for 20 years, I don't have to give. Or I've I've, uh, served on the worship team for years. I preach, so I don't have to give. Oh, no, no, Paul argues the opposite. God has blessed you with the ability to serve him. He has gifted you, so this is an incentive to give even more. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. He says, I want you to excel in that. I want you to do really well at that. And then comes verse 9, wonderful verse. Sometimes we really dust this verse off at Christmas time or Easter time. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The power of humility. Why? This verse teaches humility. You know, you've all watched the football uh, games these days, and last night was another very close game between Calgary and BC. And you know what I find so uh, so interesting is that when somebody scores a touchdown, 
Now we have 10 minutes of uh, high fives and moonwalks and break dancing and chest bumps and, and jumping around and even taunting the other team a little bit. And sometimes it gets to be a little bit over the top, but it is hilarious to watch. And it's kind of a cultural thing to do. But think about the humility of Jesus Christ. He took on our humanity. We call it the incarnation. God becoming man. Jesus became one of us, human, with all of our limitations and all of our pains and all of our suffering. And he, he didn't need to do that. He wanted to do that. But he did it with no high fives, no somersaults, just very humbly came and laid his life on the line. Though he was rich, he became poor. He was rich because he was with the Father. He became poor. He gave up all his honor and glory. He let go of that position. And his ultimate experience of poverty was when he was made sin for us on the cross. Every sin of every life was placed on him. He was made to be the poorest of the poor. What love, what generosity, what grace. And the Macedonians, Christians, they got it. They got it. And Paul's desire was that the Corinthians would also get it. It, it was his desire that we, that we would get it too and live out the reality of generosity. How does that look in each of our lives? It's more than finances. Sometimes the hardest thing to give is our time. Sometimes the hardest thing is to give our, our energy. Mother Teresa of Calcutta once said, Every time I wash a dying person, I feel like I'm washing Jesus. What a privilege. Every time I wash a dying person, I feel like I'm washing Jesus. And she made these statements, and I'll close with them. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Great perspective. Aren't we glad to be pencils that God can write with and make a difference in this world? And she said, I have found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no hurt but only more love. I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no hurt but only more love.